Hello, everybody. Welcome back to That So Fringy podcast. We have a very interesting episode for you today. It's going to be part one of two. So this one will come out Sunday, and then part two will come out on Wednesday. And we had the opportunity to sit down and talk with Zachary King, who was a member of the Church of Satan, and then uh, kind of worked himself up the ranks and ended up being uh, one of the high wizards for the Church of Satan. Um, And then, you know, he was delivered from all that later on in his life. Yeah. This is going to be a two-parter just because we talked to him for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, We wanted to get um, these into more digestible pieces because, you know, when you get that much information in a long-form podcast, you got to kind of wrap your head around everything. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there. So with it being uh, the topic that it is and and uh, the depth that it is, we just want to be sure that we say that this is um, some mature content. We we try not to get too graphic with things, but uh, at the same time, we are talking about some darkness. And uh, with darkness comes stuff that you might not want your little ones hearing. So just wanted to give that disclaimer before we jumped in. Yeah, I mean, specifically, um, there are some parts where he talks about some sexual abuse, there's some drug use, alcohol use. I mean, all the things that you would think in the Church of Satan run rampant. They yeah. do. And more. Um, we did have to take some things out that were a little too a little too much. But um, we wanted to break this up into two parts so that it wasn't um, emotionally overloading, I guess. Yeah. Leave it to my wife to think about awesome things like that. I was like, nah, fire hose them. It don't matter. But uh, this is uh, this is a good way to do it. And this is why we bring balance. So with that, we're going to get you into the episode yep. because we know that you're tired of hearing us. everybody welcome back to that's so fringy podcast we are here today with zachary king and uh we wanted to introduce our audience to uh zachary because we heard his testimony on other podcasts and we you know we really enjoyed his story his message and we wanted to get that out um to as many people as we could and so with that zachary we just want to kick it over to you and um let you go on your testimony and i know you've done it a bunch of times but uh you don't mind doing it and sharing what what you've been through and and who you were for a while and who you are now so um if you don't mind let's just get into it all right now if if you feel like asking questions jump in at any time sounds great all right so i got started when i was the story starts when i was 10 years old Mm -hmm. and i had a burning desire to find out if magic worked, you know, cause I had seen all the horror movies, all the magic, you know, um, I, I was watching levitation mm. and to me, Superman can levitate. Sure. You know, flying, flying is levitation. So wouldn't it be cool if I practiced magic and then after that could levitate my way to school mm. and levitate my way past all my friends and all my friends could see me doing something that they couldn't do. I, I asked my Baptist preacher and my parents, is magic real? And oddly, they said no. 
that magic was fake. It was false. That's nothing you can really do. Now, to put this question in perspective, last year, I had a friend that told me that because he knows about my past, Mm -hmm. he would give me $10,000 if I could prove magic was real. And I said, that's all I got to do? He's like, Mm -hmm. yeah. I said, okay. I'm going to prove it to you. And so I had him bring me his Bible. And I said, there's 33 verses in that book that tell you not to do magical things. In the Old Testament, you're stoned to death. And in the New Testament, you don't inherit the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Now, if it was impossible to kill somebody, thou shalt not kill would not be in the Ten Commandments. Right. If it was impossible to lie, thou shalt not lie wouldn't be in there either. So if it was impossible to do magic, there would not be 33 verses in the Bible that tell you not to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God's got no reason to warn you against something if you can't do it. Mm-hmm. As if that proves beyond a reasonable doubt that magic is real. I'm still waiting for my $10,000. <laughs> I bet you are. <laughs> he, he decided that wasn't proof. That, that didn't do it yes, for him. Yes. So when I, I heard um, your story, you were talking about how you kind of first started into um, magic and some of the things that you would do was um, try to do that mirror trick. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I, I was... Um, we had this game at school. It was on the first day of the fifth grade. And this kid came up to me and he said, meet me in the bathroom at the first break. First break is at 1020. And I went into the bathroom, little naive kid. We don't have the internet back then. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of, you know, no warnings about, you know, don't do this or that. Sure. And so I walked in the bathroom and there's 49 other kids in there, boys and girls in the same bathroom. And they say that we're going to turn out the lights and chant a phrase into the mirror. And if we do it right, the spirit of a burn victim will show up. And I was like, okay, I'm not thinking that's really going to happen. But I had never seen that in the movie, never heard anybody talking about it. So let's see what happens. Mm-hmm not really thinking anything's going to happen. So they turn out the lights, which, you know, we're a bunch of 10-year-olds in the dark, you know, so obviously we're, we're a little scared now. Sure. And we chant the phrase. Now, this is 1976. There's no holographic mirrors or holographic flashlights. There's nothing to do this trick. You know, they, back then, they didn't have the Bloody Mary mirror that you can now buy at the Halloween store. Right. <laughs> so we do the chant and all of a sudden this scary face appears in the mirror. And it's not one of us. And 49 kids run screaming out of the bathroom. One kid, we'll call him an idiot, and I can call him an idiot because it was me, <laughs> stood in the bathroom staring at that face thinking, that is the coolest trick in the world. I did that. I chanted the phrase. I was okay with the lights being turned out. I joined in with the group. They're cowards. They ran out of the room. I did this. I made this happen. Hmm. Now, to, to go along with 
Okay, to make a magic spell real, you need intention, repetition, and demonic presence. Mm-hmm. So we had the intention. We all wanted the demonic face to appear. We had intent. You know, we had repetition. All of us repeated it X number of times, and we obviously had the demonic presence because it showed up. Mm-hmm. But we're not convinced. I'm not convinced that it's a demon. I was told it's the spirit of a burn victim. It looks like a burn victim. Mm-hmm. The face looks melted and it's dark black. You know, and it was an ugly face, but I gave it the law of bulldogs. Do you know the law of bulldogs? I don't. Mm-mm. Bulldogs are ugly as hell, but they're born with that face. And most <laughs> bulldogs are friendly. They can't help what face they got. Yeah. So this person died in a fire. They can't help that face. And this is the this is what they're this is what happens when you die in a fire. You, Skin goes all black and your face melts. Mm. Made sense to me. So I'm thinking, you know, this is really cool. I can I can do this all the time. And we started doing this when we did it every day. Now, when that was going through my school, we also had another game. And it was basically the game that went through a few years ago called the Charlie Charlie Challenge. We had that, but it wasn't called the Charlie Charlie Challenge. Hmm. And this little girl came in from another school, and she introduced it to us, and nobody could make it work but her. Like, her little pencil would just spin and spin and spin. Yeah. We would do it, and nothing would happen. So it lasted a couple of days, and then nobody did it anymore. But this game, everybody that did it was getting results and as a result of that uh, and kids you know in their haste to exit the bathroom two kids got really badly hurt Hmm. like broken arm broken leg hurt Hmm. so notes were sent home and in the note it said that if we were caught playing this game that we'd be suspended for three days you know and every time I had to bring these notes home to my dad I'd bring him up to him in the den, and he'd just take it and sign it and hand it back to me. He never read it. He didn't care what was on it. You know, he's just like, oh, I'm being bothered by something else. Sure. And, but this day, my dad stopped and said, let me see what that says. And he reads it, and it's kind of like grunting and not really liking what he's reading. And then in his normal loving tone, he said, have you been playing this game? <laughs> and being terrified of my dad as I was, I told him the absolute truth. No. <laughs> so I wouldn't be caught and suspended at school. I started playing the game at home. Hmm. But when I played at school, I only played once a day. You had to sneak in there. I mean, you can't just walk openly into the bathroom, be in there with girls and boys. The school would have had a conniption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, but I'm at home. I've got a bathroom in my room. So, you know, when I get up to go to the bathroom in the morning, I play the game. After I go to the bathroom, I play the game. Play the game when I brush my teeth. When I'm done brushing my teeth, I go have breakfast. I come back. I brush my teeth again. I play the game again. 
I play the game a few more times before I go to school. When I get home, my parents aren't home. So I'm playing the game 20 to 50 times a day. Wow. And every time I play it, I get results. I'm always getting the face. But it, like I said, it, it's not trying to talk to me. It's not making a scary face necessarily. And it's got this face, which looks bad. Mm. But it's by now, I've seen it so many times, I almost feel like that's a friend. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you. It's the same. It's the same figure every time. Right. Right. It's the same yeah. figure every time. Yeah. Apparently, I was assigned a demon, and it stuck with me. Sure. So, sort of like uh, angels. Once an angel's been given a job, then that's all he knows to do. Mm-hmm. Same thing with demons. They have the same nature. So, once Satan assigned him to me, then he knew not to leave. Mm-hmm. So. I keep doing this. I'm also playing Dungeons and Dragons at this time, and I'm always the wizard or the sorcerer in that. And I'm having a great time there. But after a while, I, I start to wonder. You know, my parents are saying you can't do magic in real life. My Baptist preacher says you can't do it. But just because they say it, does that make it true? Hmm. So. I decided I wanted to try a magic spell in real life. Because if I try magic and it doesn't work, then I'll probably never try it again. It's a waste of time. And I'll find a different hobby. Mm -hmm. But if it does work, I know something no one else knows. Knowledge is power. And I know that. That's a fact. So... And I'm thinking that, you know, when I'm in the bathroom, I can make that face appear. Is that magic? I don't know. But it certainly seems magical. I mean, where can you chant a phrase and get a face to show up? Mm-hmm. Now, something else to consider here. When you're looking in the mirror... The mirror, the land inside the mirror is not some distant kingdom somewhere. That's not a foreign land that you can't reach. And it's not the room next door to the bathroom. It's not the room on the other side of the mirror. Mm -hmm. If you're seeing the demon in the mirror, he's standing next to you. Mm. Mm. But at 10 years old, I'm not thinking of that. Yeah. Also, when I play D&D, my magic spells always work. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, you're taking a 20-sided die and rolling it, and if you make a 15 or higher, your magic spell will work. And the higher the number, the better probability of having it completely work. Mm-hmm. But it always works. Mm-hmm. Every single spell I did always worked. Mm-hmm. You know, I always roll the high score. So I thought, well, it's not exactly magic. But every time I have a magical character, I rock the game. Mm. So that's working. The Bloody Mary thing works. Maybe I can make magic work, too. So I thought, what can I do as a magic spell? Now, I've got a pop quiz every Friday. 
I don't want to hurt my teacher. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little fat, nerdy kid, and I don't like PE, but I don't want to hurt my coach. But something that would prove to me that magic works is if I did a spell for money and I got some cash. Wouldn't sure. that be cool? Now, the most important things to me at this time are candy bars. They're 15 to 20 cents. <laughs> Comic books. They're also 15 to 20 cents. And penny candy, which is indeed a penny. <laughs> now, put that in perspective. Those penny pieces of candy where I could go up there with a dollar and get a hundred pieces and then my dad would put in the four cents. Those same pieces of candy back then are between 25 and 50 cents now. Yeah, it's wild. And to put that in perspective, when my dad was a kid, you could get 10 pieces of candy for a penny. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, that's, the, that's the state of our country now. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's 50 cents to buy that. I decided to do the magic spell. And I did that. And the next day I went out. I did it on a Friday night. Saturday I went out. And I found a can of tennis balls with a $5 bill in it. Now, a can of tennis balls, that's pretty much lost on me. I am never going to get on the tennis courts. <laughs> but, but five bucks? Man, think of all the candy I can buy with that. I can get yeah. 500 pieces of candy. And that's a score. So... I'm liking this, but somebody had to find that. So that could have been a coincidence. Mm-hmm. So I did it again the next Friday. And I went out the next day and I found a $10 bill on the side of the road. Mm. I'm thinking, all right, eight days, $15. I can nickel and dime my way up to being a millionaire. <laughs> but this still could have been a coincidence. I'm a hard sell. Yeah. So I'm thinking I'm going to do it one more time, but I'm going to do it in the bathroom at home. And then halfway into the spell, I'm going to do the Bloody Mary chance. And when the face shows up, I'm going to let it know that I'm doing a spell for money. Because I don't know if that's magic, but what if it is? And what if I can somehow harness that? Now, my perspective, my thought process wasn't that it was a demon. I thought, if this is the spirit of a burn victim, maybe he's in heaven. Maybe he's close to God. And maybe if he knows that I'm trying to do a spell for money, he could tell God, this kid needs some cash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I haven't been told that magic is a mortal sin and it's a violation of the first commandment you know, God would never grant you a magic spell no one says that in the Baptist church right, right. <laughs> so I said about to do that I do the spell in my bathroom halfway in I do the chant the spirit shows up I make sure it knows I'm doing a spell for money his face never changed it's still just there and I finish out my spell. Everything's done. I go to bed. Next day, I get up. I'm excited because, you know, I, I got five bucks, then ten bucks. What am I going to get this time? 
even if I just double, keep doubling my money, I mean, 20 bucks, mm-hmm. I, mean, I did the math on that. I don't remember now, but at that time, it was like, it didn't take very long. I could be up in the thousands of dollars. Yep. You know, if it just kept doubling every time. Now, after a while, it'd be like, how do I explain to my parents how I keep finding all this? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's like, I'm the luckiest kid in the world. I don't know what to tell you. So, I go out and I'm playing and there's a place in my town called U.S. Sugar and back then U.S. Sugar had a lot less buildings than it does now and it also had parking lots that were unpaved and so I was playing in one of those it was a lot of fun to play in those with I had the big metal Tonka toys oh yeah and which suck now because they're made of plastic but (laughs) so I went to that unpaved parking lot, and it's only a couple of blocks from my house, and something catches my eye shining in the distance. So I ran off to look at that, and when I got there, there's nothing shiny there. There's nothing that reflects. But I found what looked like Monopoly money rolled up tight in rubber bands. And I'm thinking, well, that's the coolest thing ever. Let's see what this is. And I'm scared to open it up there. So I just put it in my pocket and go about playing. And at the end of the night, everybody's, you know, taking their baths. Everybody's in bed. And, um, you know, I'm in bed. Uh, the whole family's asleep. I'm not because I'm too excited to go to sleep. I got to see what my treasure is. So I'm sitting in my bed with a sheet up over my head and a flashlight in my mouth. And I'm unraveling all these rubber bands. Now, the reason it looked like Monopoly money is because I'd never seen a $100 bill. Mm. And when I unwrapped all of them, I had 10 $100 bills. Mm. It's 1976, and I'm worth $1,000. Wow. Now, put that in more perspective, now that would be worth $7,000. Wow. Mm. I'd like to find a thousand dollars now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seven thousand yeah. dollars would be nicer, but you know, find anything. Now, yeah. I'd be happy now if I found the five dollars on the road. Yeah, I'll take a ten. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. A gift card, so, something easy. Um, so, but now I know beyond a reasonable doubt that the Baptist preacher and my parents were wrong. Mm-hmm. that I know something that they don't know that I can do magic and that if I did this trick every day for this same amount did it the same way that in one year I could buy a Lamborghini <laughs> in three years I'd be a millionaire yeah now I'm not thinking about this from a, from a kid's perspective or really from an adult's perspective I'm thinking $365,000 buy a Lamborghini Countach and have money left over. Uh, Lamborghini Countach was my number one car that I wanted my entire life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being able to buy one at 10 years old would be awesome. Now, what I'm not taking into consideration is there's not a Lamborghini store in my town. Yeah. (laughs) There's one 90 miles away. Right. So, I have to tell my dad that we need to go to the Lamborghini store 90 miles away so I can buy a Lamborghini. 
I've got to be able to show my dad that I have that kind of money. I've got to tell my dad how I got it. Then he's got to say, yes, we've got to go there. I've got to buy it. Then I've also got to prove to them how I got the money. And then we have to drive the car back. And my dad drives like an old man. (laughs) So I've got to drive my 200-mile-an-hour Lamborghini all the way home going 20 miles an hour, (laughs) which would be very embarrassing. But I'm not thinking of any of that. I'm just thinking, Lamborghini, I can do it now. So figuring I can do this every day for the rest of my life, I'm on top of the world. And more so, not because of the money. I mean, the money was awesome. You know, I'm now looking at, you know, what's what's a thousand times a hundred? They're like a, a million. Mm-hmm. And that's how many pieces of candy I could buy. Right. <laughs> I could be the fattest kid in the world. <laughs> the happiest. I've got a million pieces of candy. So, but, but I'm thinking, you know, I can do this forever. Yeah. Now, when I was 11 years old, I was in the sixth grade, and one day I raised my hand so I could go to the bathroom. I go down there, I go into the bathroom, and there's a noise in the bathroom. It sounds like somebody's in the bathroom. And it's a fairly big bathroom. We have urinals, we have sinks. And then we have like a few stalls. Mm-hmm. And I look under the stalls. There's no feet underneath. So there's nobody in there. But it sounds like somebody's in there. I can hear somebody breathing really hard. So I walk to the first stall and open it. Nobody there. Walk to the next stall and open it. There's nobody there. Eventually, I get down to the handicap stall, and I open it, and there's a woman, a female teacher, sitting on the toilet with her feet pulled up to the lid, and she's naked from the waist down. I have never seen a woman naked from the waist down at this point, so I didn't know that there was a difference. Hmm. And I don't know what this thing is that she has. I, I am confused and perplexed. And she had me come in and lock the bathroom door, which I did. And she had me come up to her and she sexually assaulted me. She said, if you tell anyone, you'll be expelled from school. You'll be disowned by your parents and you'll go to prison. Hmm. And then when you get out of prison, you won't be allowed in school and you'll have to get a job. Do you want to tell somebody? Hmm. Uh, no. I mean, obviously, she'd tell me the truth. She's a teacher. Why would she lie? Yeah. Sure. You know, and then when I got home, I got undressed and put my clothes in the hamper. I felt so bad. Like that night, I took a bath in probably the hottest water I've ever been in because hmm. I was trying to clean myself. Mm-hmm. And I did that a few nights in a row. And then I even considered drinking bleach, not to kill myself. But I felt so dirty inside, mm. I thought the bleach would clean me inside. Mm. You know, and I would get rid of this icky feeling that nothing seems to be able to get rid of. 
Sure. However, what did make me feel better was magic. Hmm. You know, when I did magic, I was on top of the world. You know, I, I was the king of the world. I could do anything. Yeah. You know, there was nobody more powerful than me, nobody better than me, nobody as good as what I was. But no one else knows that it's real. I know that it's real. I can get anything I want. So I just dive further into that. Now, when I'm 12 years old, we had this kid when I was 10 that used to play D&D with us. He played in every campaign. And then he disappeared. He stopped going to play D&D, and he stopped going to school. So we just figured he moved. Nobody ever heard from him. Mm. When I was 12 years old, he came back, and he mentioned that uh, he had been being homeschooled at this time, been homeschooled for the last three years practically, and that he still played D&D, and he was still local. But he played with this other group. This other group also believes magic is real. And they play D&D, they play campaigns, and he has a lot of fun over there. Why don't we come check them out? Well, there was a big group of us that played D&D, but I was the only one that believed in magic. No one else did that. No one else wanted to waste their time with something that doesn't work, that nobody can really do. I'm winning, to me, I feel like I'm winning everything because I haven't told anybody that I'm doing this. So I went over to check these guys out. You know, let's see what makes them cool, what makes them awesome, whatever. And so at my parents' house, we have a 26-inch console TV. Yeah. I like to say that at my talks because kids look at me like, what's that? <laughs> yeah. So well, when I was a kid, the TV was like a piece of furniture. It was four feet, four feet deep and was in a big wooden box yeah. that I had to clean with pledge every Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was always flowers or something or a bowl of something on top of it. And when you turned it on, it took it 10 minutes to warm up. And when you turned it off, it would crackle and you would see a green screen for another 10 minutes before yeah. it finally died. You know, and even after it had been off for hours, the TV would seem to talk to you. It would make these noises all through the night. Hmm. No idea. It was probably cancer-causing, but you know, yeah. we didn't know things like that back then. <laughs> yeah, right. But over there, they had a 50-inch projection screen TV. You know, and at my mom's house, you could have three meals a day and a snack if my mom was in a good mood. Mm -hmm. But over there, you could live on snacks all day. You could have pizza as many times as you wanted. You could live on snicker bars and potato chips. You'd do pretty much anything you wanted. I mean, at my house, you could watch a G-rated movie or a PG-rated movie if it had been vetted by my dad first. Mm. That was it. You weren't watching anything else. But over there, you could watch G-rated, PG-rated, R-rated, X-rated, triple yeah. X-rated. You could watch triple X-rated movies with kids in it my age. Mm. You could also look at magazines that had the same type pictures. 
And they told me that what happened to me when I was 11 was horrible. That should have never happened to anybody. But now I can get my power back. Now I can do that anytime I want. If somebody wants to do it with me and I don't want to, I can say no. And they'll make me a movie star and make me famous. And I can be in these movies as much as I want. Now, it never occurred to me that I was being re-victimized every time. Sure. And that pedophiles were not just watching the movies, but were starring in them with me. I thought that the people in them were really nice. And most of the people in them are, are kids like myself. And I thought because it was always kids in the room that looked at the magazines and kids in the room that watched the movies. So I thought when we were making the movies that it was going to be kids watching them. It didn't occur to me till years later that it was adults and they're, you know, perverts watching yeah. these videos. Sure. You know, or seeing the magazines. Because I appeared in both. And then I imagine they got top dollar for all of that. I didn't see any of the money either. But we would have people write, write in. I don't know where they would write to. They would write in and request um, characters that they liked in the films. Like once you've appeared on video, you're assigned a name. And that follows you throughout your career of being in child pornography. So my name was Tommy. And so people would write in and ask for Tommy to be in a scene with somebody doing something. Sure. And they put in specific requests. And then we would just do that on film. And I'm thinking, you know, all my friends in the seventh grade bragged about all the sex they had on the weekend. Hmm. But none of my friends are really having sex. You know, all these kids are liars and just making up stories. Mm -hmm. You know, I am really having sex. I'm not saying that to anybody because I don't want somebody to check it out and see if it's true and then find out it is and I lose it. Yeah. I've got a privilege that I don't want to lose. So, you know, and also, you know, my, my parents at this time are the no police. Anything I want to do, the answer is no. Hmm. Hey, the Moody Blues are coming to town. Can I go see him? No. Is there a movie coming out on Friday? Can I go see it? No. Dad, can we have pizza tonight? No. Dad, no. After a while, you just look at my dad. No. <laughs> but over there, anything I ask to do, the answer is yes. Like, my dad didn't even give you, he didn't, there was no alternative. You know, like, we're not going to go see the Moody Blues. But how about if we go see this Christian band instead? Okay. Nothing yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, there wasn't like, well, we're not going to go see that movie because it's rated R. But how about we go see this Disney film that's rated G? Mm-hmm. Sure. It, there was no alternative. It was just no. You know, yeah. there was no, it, 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 there was no relief in sight. The answer was always no. And when you're a kid, you kind of equate your parents to God. Well, the Bible is a whole book of God saying, thou shalt not. And that was my parents. Thou shalt not. No, you can't do that. This is, you know, get it into your head. We're not doing these things. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell people, had I been a smart kid, I would have told my parents, 
all I want to eat for the rest of my life is vegetables. <laughs> because I hated vegetables. <laughs> yeah. And my dad would have said, no, you're having steak and hamburgers and pizza. Darn dad, you saw right through me. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> so, but I wasn't that smart of a kid. So I'm getting everything I want. And then, you know, I mean, I'm smoking pot almost every day. I'm drinking booze almost every day. My mom would send me to school with a large cup of orange juice. And I would stop at one of these houses along the way that would, after I drank it down about halfway, they'd fill it the rest of the way up with vodka. So I'm drinking a screwdriver every day on my way to school. I mean, how old are you? 12 years old. So I'm popping pills. I find out that my favorite drugs of choice at this time are smoking weed, taking mushrooms, or taking acid and MDMA at the same time, and that's called candy flipping. And that is my favorite thing in the world. And you know, I'm just thinking my life is amazing at this point. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm having sex at least on the weekends, but sometimes every day every day but Sunday Sunday I gotta go to church remember I'm Baptist and I gotta hold up appearances that I'm still a good boy so also being I'm 12 years old this older kid comes up to me one day and he says you know you're in a satanic coven right and he runs away and I laugh that off but, you know, after a couple of weeks of thinking about that, you know, I, I saw Rosemary's Baby. And when the bad guy is on the screen, there's creepy music. I saw The Exorcist. I saw, I've seen a lot of really creepy movies. And, or the, the Brownstone or the Sentinel and there's always creepy music when the bad guy's on the screen. Yeah. You know, do you remember the Adam West Batman show? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the 60s. Well, when the Penguin or the Joker or the Catwoman was on the mm-hmm. screen or the Riddler, the screen was crooked. And when Batman was on the screen, the screen was upright. So, you know, there's that message that gets drilled into your head. Mm-hmm. But... There didn't seem to be a bad guy over here. You know, in the Baptist church, we're taught that Jesus defeated Satan on the cross 2,000 years ago, so Satan's not a threat anymore, and that Satan's afraid of the Baptist church. So I'm a Baptist, so Satan's not attacking me. You know, and he's not a threat anyway. There doesn't seem to be a bad guy in this scenario. My dad taught me that even taking drugs one time might kill you. (laughs) By the time I heard, and it was anything, no matter what you did, smoking pot could kill you. So, but by the time I heard this guy say, it's a satanic coven, I've done drugs at least a hundred times. You know, I've been drinking this whole time nothing ever happened to me there had never had a hangover um 
you know, I'm having sex all I want, even sometimes more than I want. And I'm not suffering the repercussions of anything. Nothing seems bad or harmful. But after a couple of weeks, the comment kind of got to me. So I went up to a friend that I knew, and I said, hey, you're going to laugh. I heard this was a satanic coven. Crazy, right? (laughs) And he said, it is. And my heart dropped into my stomach, and I said, am I a member? No. Would you like to be? Hmm. I have people at my talks who are like, didn't you know right from wrong? Didn't you know (laughs) Satan's the bad guy? Yeah. Well, if Satan would have acted like a bad guy, I'd have known it. Right. But Satan gave me everything I wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. I'm thinking, I'm addicted to porn. I'm addicted to masturbation. I'm addicted to sex. You got to be 18 years old to buy porn. I'm 12. Yeah. I'm smoking cigarettes, cigars, pipes, pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. Gotta be 19 to buy that. I'm still 12. And I'm drinking alcohol almost every day. You're like 21 to buy booze. I'm still 12. I'm taking illegal drugs practically every day. The only place I know to get them is here. And I'm starring in porn and having sex with all the girls that I want. And if I quit this group, I'm going to lose all my privileges. Yeah. I'd be an idiot to lose, to leave. So I'm like, um, yeah, what do I have to do to join? He said, there's 13 steps to becoming a Satanist, and you've done almost all of them already. Hmm. All you have left to do, I had to slice my left thumb, left thumb because it's closest to the heart, mm-hmm. and you have to bleed onto a five-page document. You have to sign it in three places. The blood of Jesus washes away all sin, but not mine. Jesus died for everyone, but not me. And on the final page, I agree to sell my soul to the devil. Mm-hmm. Now, at this point during my talks, I stop, and I usually have an assistant that sits next to me, and I ask them what kind of car they own. So let's say it's a Toyota Camry. So I'll say, how many people out there can legally sell me his Toyota Camry? Nobody raises their hand. Like, why not? Because it's not yours. Right, it's not yours. That's the same reason you can't sell your soul. You don't own it. Mm. Yeah. God died for you. Jesus paid the ultimate price for your soul. Mm -hmm. You don't own it. You can't loan it, you can't lease it, and you certainly cannot sell it. You may have heard the devil's a liar. I'm here to confirm. If the devil says good morning, get a second opinion. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I was 13 years old when I signed this document. Sure. I believe that to be a truthful statement. Everything was accurate. I believed I was selling my soul. But at this time, I wasn't positive that God was even real. I wasn't positive that there was a God, that there was a heaven, that there was a hell. I've never seen a demon or an angel. I haven't experienced 
God. Mm. I haven't experienced the devil. And to me, the devil's the good guy. I mean, this guy is giving me everything I want, and God is telling me not to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there doesn't seem to be any repercussions from doing it. You know, I didn't drink and suddenly become an alcoholic. I did eventually, but, you know, it wasn't like a sudden thing, like my dad said it would be. I didn't take drugs and keel over dead. I never OD'd. You can't smoke enough weed to die. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, everything my dad told me was false. I remember my parents told me magic wasn't real. You know, I'm proved that, that magic works. So I show up at this coven meeting and I'm baptized. I show up in a white robe. It signifies you're losing your innocence. You're baptized in a giant vat. It's shaped like a demon skull. And it's filled with human blood, pig's blood, and human urine. It's full submersion. And you come up, and you go into another room, and you take a shower. Come out in a black robe with the cowl raised, signifying you've been baptized into a world of darkness. I sit in a chair, and they hand me a wheel with a crucifix in it. And they read off the document that I signed the night before. I show them my thumb so they can see that the blood on there is mine. And then I spin the crucifix upside down, signifying human sacrifice. And I break the arms downward, denouncing Christ. And then they say that this document will be intertwined with the crucifix. Now keep in mind that the crucifix in the wheel with the arms broken downward looks like the peace sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So the document is intertwined with that, and they say this will go into a vault and will be stay there forever until you die. Now, now and a big sex orgy happens after that. It's a big party. And you're celebrating that you're now a Satanist. But the reality of that celebration is that you're celebrating that one day you're going to die and go to hell. Yeah. Now, I was wearing a black robe with a red inverted pentagram. But what they gave me immediately was the red robe with a black inverted pentagram. And that is the main magic practitioner in my satanic coven. Hmm. Uh, In any satanic coven, anybody can practice magic. But if you do the official magic, then you have a costume that you wear that's different from everybody else's. Hmm. So in that one, we would have people that would come and request magic spells from us. And there's different magic spells for different things. Uh, The very basic magic spell, basic curse, is giving somebody the evil eye. Mm. Which, as it implies, you're just giving somebody a a look. And it's, in some cases, the evil eye has caused people to get possessed. Mm. But usually the evil eye is just a simple curse. The next level of curse up from that requires your freezer at home and a glass of water. And it requires some other things too, but, you know, curiosity killed the cat, 
I'm not going to give people the all the ingredients because I don't want anyone to try it. Right, exactly. So, but at each level of spell that you do, it's you up the ante of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So, like the evil eye is like it's maybe the equivalent of giving somebody a grimace on their face. Mm-hmm. It's not really any big deal. Doing the next level up is like maybe spinning in their direction. Doing the next level up is actually spitting on them. The next level up, spitting in their face. Eventually, you're kicking them in the shins, you're punching them in the stomach, you're poking them in the eye, you're hitting them in the head with a baseball bat, and all of this is just the level of magic that you're going up. You're going up an ante. It's just up one notch, up one notch, up one notch. The top level spell that we have was called a hex. And in a hex, it's the equivalency of dropping an atomic bomb on somebody's head. Whatever your spell is for, it's going to happen. But to do a hex, you have to do an abortion. Hmm. You do an abortion, you give the devil what he wants, he'll give you what you want. Now keep in mind that he doesn't play fair. So you're aborting a baby. You're killing the most innocent creature on the planet. Yeah. You know, in the forest, you're killing Bambi. Mm-hmm. So in the world, you're killing a baby. You can't get any more innocent than that. You give the devil that, and you're doing a spell for a million dollars, you'll be able to get 100000 You might get 10000 so you might have to abort another baby, do the spell again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you keep aborting babies, he'll keep giving you what you asked for. He'll just give you less of what you asked for. Mm-hmm. But he'll get a bunch of dead babies out of it. He's happy. Mm-hmm. So I was told when I was 14 years old that I was going to be in a sex party with all the male members between 12 and 15 and a female sex member over the age of 18. And we're all going to have sex with her and the goal was to get her pregnant and then she would have an abortion in almost nine months. Mm. And I was like, cool. And then I went home to look up the word abortion because I had no idea what it meant. And I remember hearing my parents talk about it a couple of years prior, and they whispered it like it was a dirty word. Mm -hmm. And I looked it up in my dictionary, and my dictionary was so old, it didn't have the word in it. So I went to the library. They had two books that were about two inches thick each about abortion. But I went to school on Cliff Notes, (laughs) I'm not reading two inches of a book to figure out what abortion is. So I went back to my coven and I was like, hey, you know, I was told that I'm going to participate in an abortion in nine months. I don't know what that means. He goes, oh, you're killing a baby in the womb. It's like, is that legal? Oh, yeah. In the womb legal, out of the womb murder. So they gave me an apple and an orange 
a ball of Play-Doh and a scalpel. Told me my job was to practice stabbing those. And that if I know what I'm doing, then in nine months, it'll be easy. Now, I was also told that it's not really a baby. It's just a lump of cells or some tissue. Sure. And all I have to do is get blood on my hands. So it doesn't have to be the baby's blood. It can be the mom's. All right. So I practiced with these things, not knowing what I was doing. I mean, we didn't have the Internet. I couldn't look the stuff up. Mm-hmm. I participate in the, the orgy. And then, you know, nine months later, we're at this farmhouse, which was more sterile than a lot of abortion clinics I've been in after that. And there's about 50 nude women on the floor swaying back and forth, chanting our bodies ourselves. There's about 25 men in the back of the room, and they're praying and chanting. They're praying to Satan to keep Christians and police away. There's We have 13 high priests and priestesses. They're surrounding the birthing table. A woman's there with her feet up in stirrups, and the abortion doctor and nurse is there. And I'm there. We have a Baphomet statue there, but it's not the same Baphomet statue that the Satanic Temple uses now. Yeah. And and for us, Baphomet represented Satan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think for them, it's somebody else. It's not actually Satan. Okay. So I'm um, getting ready to do this abortion, and they cause the baby to be delivered breech. So the body is outside the woman, and the head is still inside the woman. And a late-term abortion is done. I don't know if you want me to go into detail about how that's done. Just be real. That's all we ask. (laughs) I was able to get blood on my hands from the woman and the baby. And then from there, I would go over to another where there's an altar. And I do my magic spell, my ex. And although... I did notice at this time that, you know, I'd only caught my coven in one lie at this point, and now I caught them in another lie, because they told me it wasn't a baby, it was just a lump of cells. Right. But the entire body of this child is out. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at a little girl, and I didn't quite know what to say or you know anything because I was expecting a lump of cells right I wasn't expecting there to be a full baby to term mm-hmm. was that shocking and, to you um, at that time do you remember feeling just like what is happening here well I was I felt like I was looking at everything almost third person sure almost like I was removed from the scene and like I, I felt floaty and I also felt like there was no blood left in my system, that it was all adrenaline. Mm. Like my legs were shaking, I was nervous. But on the other hand, I was also thinking, 
this is the coolest thing ever. Mm. Like, like, I'm allowed to murder people, and it's legal. Sure. Like, I could get a job working at an abortion clinic, and I could murder multiple people every day and consecrate all of them to Satan. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, why wouldn't all the Satanists get that job? <laughs> Yeah, when you, you put it into perspective like that, it it, uh, it it makes you wonder, like, how how did you get to that point mentally, you know, to and like you said, there was there was increments that you went through and you started at one point and got to a place now where, you know, you're you're enjoying this this power. Planned Parenthood, by their own admission, murders one point three million babies every year. Right. That's fifteen hundred abortions per abortion clinic. Because they have I think eight hundred and sixty five clinics or murder mills in the United States. Right. So I got interviewed a few years ago because it was an art project in Washington DC that was also in New York where they had built a temple of bail. Mm-hmm. And they called me to ask me in an interview what I thought of the Temple of Baal that was being built in Washington and New York. And I said, since 1973, we have 865 temples of Baal in the United States already. Why isn't anyone talking about those? Yeah. You know, and they asked me, what what are those? What, what are you talking about? And I said, well, what happens at the Temple of Baal? Baby sacrifice. Yep. You know, there's 865 Planned Parenthoods. Yeah. So they do baby murder every day. Yeah. Why yeah. is that not upsetting to you? Yeah. If you're upset about a Temple of Baal where nothing's going to happen, but you're not yeah. upset with a Planned Parenthood that's going to kill 1,500 babies this year yeah. and murdered 1,500 last year and is going to murder another 1,500 next year. Mm-hmm. That, be, that should be outrageous. Yeah, it should be. It should be just completely out of the realm of possibilities in our culture. But it, this is what we're doing all the time. And and every time the, a person talks about abortion, all that they're saying is is that you know women should have a choice. Women should have a choice. But they don't realize there's this whole other layer to it that you're bringing to us to say that this is this is happening by sacrifice. Well. I said for years when I came out of Satanism that abortion was a satanic sacrifice. In my first talk I gave that was recorded, that was in 2011, I said abortion is a satanic sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And I repeated it. I said, I think it's mildly important for you to hear this. So I said it again. And all along... People have said, no, it's not true. The devil doesn't care about abortion. Uh, You're making stuff up. Everybody was saying that, you know, I was just doing this to be sensational and saying abortion is a satanic sacrifice. And so in 2008, I started saying it. 2009, 2010, 
um, all the way up to 2015, I put out a CD set called Abortion is a Satanic Sacrifice. And the, the world erupted into, you know, you're lying, you're, you know, and it was all over again. You know, like I said it a couple of times in talks. Now I put out a CD set and the world is coming against me that I'm just sensationalizing it. And why would I say these things? You know, you're lying, you're not truthful, and you're making stuff up. And then in 2018, enough people asked for the transcript that I put out the book. And it's just a transcript and a couple of extra things in it. Like I have an endorsement from Father Frank Pavone. I have um, Einstein said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And I said, that's how we fight abortion in this country. You know, we send 500,000 people to march and we write new laws and it doesn't work. So what do we do? We send 500,000 people to march and we write new laws and it doesn't work. So what do we do? We send 500,000 people to march and we write new laws. Now we've done this for 50 years. Has it worked? No. Has it ever worked? No. What are we going to do next year? We're going to send 500,000 people to march and write new laws. Yeah, it's a crazy cycle. And you and you begin to wonder if the people that are making the laws are the people that are wanting to continue with these sacrifices. Last year, the Satanic Temple came out and said that abortion is a satanic sacrifice. Hmm. Imagine that. And also last year... They said that if you live in a state that doesn't allow abortion, that puts any restriction on you whatsoever, that you can join the Satanic Temple online and tell them what you need, that you want an abortion, and they will give you prayers that you say before the abortion and after the abortion that make your abortion a satanic sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And then it's protected under religious freedom. And you can't be arrested for it. And they can't deny you your abortion. Mm. Wow. That's wild. So suddenly, for some reason, the devil is confirming what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Mm hmm. 